0: those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126. What a beautiful depiction of the one who sows. He doesn't see what his work produces. He sows in tears. He weeps. He's sad. His work is hard. His reward is later, but it is doubtless. He carries his seed and scatters them everywhere. The power of his seed is hidden in the seed. So the power of his happiness is hidden deep within his hope, deep within his expectation that the seed is good, and it is good. Hope is exercised by tribulation and disappointment and by not seeing. That is why it is doubtlessly foolish to boast in how we have been exalted and much safer to boast in how God has humbled us. If there is no tribulation and disappointment and blindness, then there is no hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. So the sower sows in this hope. He is not sowing gravel, he is sowing seed. He reflects on this. The strength of his hope is not found in how hard he works, it is found in the seed he sows. Who is weak and he is not weak? Who is made to stumble and he does not burn with indignation? The sower invests his labor in what will only produce a reward if God causes the growth. What greater weakness is there than to labor for what you do not see until long after the work is done? What greater cause is there to stumble, to doubt, than to work, work, work with no expectation that any evidence of your work's purpose will be proven to you or anyone around you while the work, work, work is being done. But only afterwards. The sower weeps. But he is preparing himself for great joy because he trusts in God. God is gracious, that is sufficient for the sower, it's enough. The reason the sower sows is because he's a sower, sower sows seed, that's just what they do, if the weeping sower will come again with rejoicing, it will be because his seed is good. We trust in God, he is gracious, this is sufficient for us. The reason Christians confess Christ is because we're Christians. Christians confess Christ. That's just what we do. It is as natural to us as a plant producing seed and a sower sowing it. If the weeping Christian will learn to rejoice, it will be because the word that he has sown in him was good. And it is doubtless. A sower who doesn't sow seed is not a sower and tastes no fruit. A Christian who doesn't confess Christ is not a Christian and tastes no fruit. This is doubtless. St. Mark records Jesus telling his apostles to preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel is for every creature, all people. St. Francis of Assisi is depicted as preaching the gospel to the birds. That's stupid. And it's too easy. The birds don't listen. But that's not the only reason it's stupid. They also don't sneer. And they don't break your heart. They're birds. They're also monogamous. And they care for their young. They don't even need the gospel. They're better than we are. They're content to be fed by their father's generous hand and to be noticed, just noticed, when they fall to the ground. This satisfies them. It's sufficient for them. They put us to shame. They don't toil and spin or gather into barns, much less do they pierce themselves through with many sorrows by desiring to be rich and serving mammon. What silly and misplaced zeal to preach to the birds. It takes far more patience and endurance and gentleness and hope to preach the gospel to human creatures.
1: And so patience
0: and endurance and gentleness and hope are needed because that's what the gospel is for. The gospel is for everyone who shares flesh and blood with God, who by his immense grace shares flesh and blood with sinners. The gospel is for people who don't listen to it, who are too busy to care, who betray your trust and break your heart and have every good excuse why you shouldn't feel any pain, and who look at you like you're wasting your time and imposing your religion on them when you simply do what Christians do. Christians confess Christ. Christians hope in Christ. Christians know that Christ died for everyone and that without Christ there is no life. We confess Christ because we're Christians. We sow our seed in tears. Do we doubt that we will come again with rejoicing? But why else would we refuse to go forth weeping? What else than the gospel is worth sharing? Consider what is doubtful. Consider what is doubtless. God created us in his own image. We all die after our slow lives of labor. All is vanity and pointless and like smoke that blows away. Everything is. Everything. This is the punishment for our rebellion against God's image. We think we can live in our own image. We can't. We die. God kills us. We think we can be our own gods. We can't. We die. Our works are forgotten. God makes a mockery of our idols, but he doesn't want to mock us. He wants to save us. So in order to give life to those whose lives he required, whose lives he doomed to worthless toil, in order to give life to sinful men whose days pass away under his wrath, God, who feeds the birds, assumed the image of sinful man that he might not leave us helpless in the dust. He embraced and took into himself the very flesh and blood that rebelled against him. He became his own creation, which he created his own creatures to be. He didn't assume our sin, though. No, this, was, this he embraced not by becoming man, but by putting himself under the law and heading to the cross. He shares our human nature so that we might become partaker, partakers of his divine nature. This is a great mystery. The Creator becomes His creation in order to make us a new creation. God becomes immortal in order that the immortal life He lives as God might be extended back to us. Christ is the express image of the Father. God becomes the perfect man in order to die for sinful men. No seed bears fruit unless it dies. In holy baptism, Jesus buries us with himself. He teaches us to die so that in him we might rise. We try to bear fruit without dying. We try every day. We want to be good people. And the fruit of a good life tastes good. But it doesn't work. We can't. We must die. Only dead works can come from one who has not first died works that seek to earn God's favor, works that mock the works of Christ. No, the old Adam must be drowned, daily. The desires of the flesh must be denied. The deeds of the flesh must be repented of. It hurts. We must find our life where we die with Christ or we will not find it. We will lose it and we find it. We rise with life when we rise absolved and holding on Only to that life which is given freely to us in the forgiveness of our sins. No seed bears fruit unless it dies. God desires fruit. He sent his son to die. The word became flesh in order to be sown into the ground and rise again. He gives his life for us. He bears God's wrath in our place. He does so on purpose. He doesn't pass away. He dies. He rises and abides forever. He lives his entire earthly life in order to be killed. And so while he lived, he sowed in sadness. He sowed in tears. He desired to see and enjoy what he planted, and he wouldn't until the stone that blocked his grave leaped for joy before him to reveal to the world that he is risen indeed. He desires fruit because he loves us. He wants us to taste it. He wants to take us with Himself to heaven where He has returned. He wants to take your children. He rose from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand. He governs and rules us through the gospel that we hear. Now He lives His forevermore eternal life as our Savior and helper and friend, sharing our own flesh and blood. God does that. And He never dies again. If you are baptized, you died. And you won't die again. You will suffer death, like what St. Paul describes in deaths often, but you won't die. You already did. This is how you must look at your sorrows and whatever thorn you have in your flesh. It's how God does. It hurts like slow death, but it can't destroy. You already died. Your life is surrounded by sorrows and pain, but your life isn't found in your sorrow and pain. It's found in Christ's sorrow and pain. And he is risen. He rises and bears fruits and calls you to take and eat and live forever with knowledge of his goodness, which teaches you to forget the vain and deceitful knowledge of evil that our first parents exchanged for paradise to gain. And this knowledge of evil is the knowledge of a bad conscience as you seek for the pleasures of mammon, earthly success even to the peril of your own soul. Forget it. God forgets it. He gives you better knowledge. You embrace this better knowledge. It is knowledge of forgiveness and you love it. But you weep because you scatter. You don't see what comes of it. But Christ will gather the sheaves, and he will give them to you when he brings you to heaven, so that your arms are full of the fruit he desires. Jesus only gathers what is fruitful. What doesn't bear fruit he casts into the fire. And so he only sows what is good. And so we must listen only to what is good. He remains with us even now on earth in his church where his seed is continually planted in the hearts of those who have ears to hear. He remains with us to bring fruit to maturity in us. He is with you in your hearing of his word. He is with you in your doubts. He is with you in your pain. Listen to what Jesus wants you to hear. The eternal word made flesh, crucified and risen and coming again soon to judge in glory. He is with you in your hearing of his word. Learn what he desires in you, from you, and for you. What he says is true. What he says gives life to the dead. What he says breaks the chains of whatever you are enslaved to. Not from your wrists, but from your heart and your mind that won't stop desiring what you know is harmful to you and offensive to God. And that you know disqualifies you from grace if you persist and that you're afraid of because you can't free yourself. And you find your identity and the desires you have. And your life's goal to fulfill them. And you're, you're scared because you're a slave to them. But Jesus frees you. Only Jesus. He speaks to you continually. He frees you by speaking his word to you. This is my beloved son, the father said. Listen to him. And why? Because his son listened first. Go forth, my son, the father said. And free men from the fear of death, from guilt and condemnation. And the son listened to his father. Yea, father, yea, most willingly, I'll bear what thou commandest. Listen to him who listened to his father. You must listen to your father. You do so by listening to his son. The word of God made flesh, who was sown like a seed into the ground, beloved of God and well-pleasing, yet dead, that he might come back to life and bear fruit in all who find their life in him and him alone. Listen to him, your elder brother. You will not find life anywhere else. You will find death. He bears seed for sowing. He will doubtless come again. The sower goes out to sow the seed. He's sad. He's sad not because the work is hard. It sounds kind of pleasant, actually. But he's sad because his seed is scattered and he doesn't know what will come of it. He doesn't waste it. He sows it. He casts it everywhere. He is hopeful everywhere because he's confident in the seed wherever it's thrown. He sows his seed because he's a sower. That's what sowers do. Everywhere he sows his seed. He expects the seed to bring forth something good. Everywhere. He expects all his seed to accomplish what God sent it to accomplish He sows in hope, but he sows in tears because his seed is rejected. He doesn't waste it, but many hearts do. He loves those many hearts. He shed his blood for all of them. Jesus doesn't tell us a parable of the type of people he sends the gospel to. This is not a type of people kind of parable. The differentiation of soils is not meant for us to assess people who may or may not receive God's word. This is not a story that teaches us how not to waste our time or to avoid rejection. The differentiation of soils is meant to warn us. It is a warning for you, even as it serves as an explanation for why things happen the way they do. But God's call is genuine. His call is sincere and it's powerful. Many are called. We dare not find the reason why few are chosen by asking ourselves what kind of conditions we saw when we went out sowing. We're not feeding the birds. We're we're sowing in hope. We promote the preaching of the gospel by speaking the gospel, by inviting people to hear it, by defending it and not making plans that prevent us from hearing it, by seeing the weakness in others, And finding what it is that will strengthen them. And considering our need for the word. Our need for Jesus' voice. And we sow in tears. In tears because our flesh resists the unseen. And sees God's word as a powerless thing. But we sow anyway. Never mind the flesh which knows only evil. Because God promises his word is powerful. It doesn't just explain what is so. His word actually delivers the reality it describes god forgives you for jesus sake translates to for jesus sake god is reconciled to you yet who will receive this you don't know god knows his word does not return empty if it proves god's judgment let it prove judgment If it is spoken in parables to stubborn ears that hearing they may not understand, then let it be hidden from them. But you don't know. What you know is what God has done for all men. What you know is that the gospel that saves you is for all men. Those who are judged are judged having heard the word or not. But those who are saved are saved only through the word. So preach the word, the apostle commands. And with what command to preachers to preach we find the command for us all to listen. Land that is barren is barren with or without a sower sowing seed. But there is no land that is fruitful without seed being planted. So the sower seeds. He sows in hope. It is doubtless that the seed will do what God sent it to do. It is doubtless. The sower is weeping because he loves his seed and he loves what the seed does he loves the life that the seed has in it even as it is cast as a dead thing on the ground he loves the growth that God so graciously supplies and the fruit he produces but he is sad he must finish his work and he won't come come again rejoicing until long after it is finished it's finished for Jesus and it's finished for us but in different ways. It is finished for Jesus because he said so as he cried from the cross after suffering for all sin in his body and soul and fulfilling his Father's word. It is finished. He made full satisfaction for all sins by bearing God's anger against all sinners. He has appeased his Father's wrath and reconciled the world to him. His work is finished and he has sent out as ambassadors through the word. Through the whole all the world, ministers to preach the gospel of reconciliation to you, as though pleading through them, through me, for all men, for you, be reconciled to God. Yes, it is finished for Jesus; his suffering is over. But it is finished for us in a very different way. It is finished for us not in this that our suffering is over, but in this that our that the seed we have is fully powerful to do what we need the seed to do. The gospel relays a message of what is finished. It doesn't require your manipulation. It doesn't require the establishment of a mood. It doesn't require the perfect situation. It simply requires to be so. And that you have true and sincere Christian hope that this gospel will accomplish in others what God intends it to do. Because the message we have is true and it's powerful. But we don't like bothering to do things unless we feel the power and effectiveness in the task itself. I mean, even a good workout burns and tells us that something happened. But it's discouraging otherwise. The power and effectiveness of God's Word, though, is not in what we do. It's in the Word. The Holy Spirit works through the Word and the trials that we endured to... Crush hearts and plow through soil and prepare them for the life that is given only in Christ. For ourselves, as we live by faith in Jesus, is this not what contents us? God's grace. Is that not what suffices? Yes. So also for others. You don't convert anyone. You don't plow hearts and pull out thorns and drag out rocks. You don't. God does. He did for you through the cross as He sent and through the word you heard. And he has done it your whole life. So let God's word do the same for others. Or why would we not waste our time? Why? But Because we lack the faith in God or the love for those who are otherwise perishing. But the power and potential of the seed is not in us, in what we do. It is in Christ. And he is in us. The power and potential of the seed is in us who have the message to speak, to tell people about. We are grown from the same seed. Has it done anything in you? The Spirit of God who works in the seed we sow is the Spirit of God who is also in us. The deepest sorrow that St. Paul mentions after his lengthy list of perils and pains It's none of these imprisonments or stonings. No, it is, as he says, that which comes upon him daily. His deep concern for all the churches. His deep concern for the brethren. His deep concern for those who come to church. Those who skip. Those who are living lives that are going to destroy their faith if they don't stop those who doubt the power of the word that has brought them salvation. Oh, how the devil fools us. By all these afflictions that we might endure, we might be made more bold to speak. We will bear it when persecution comes, right? But by this deep concern, the devil would especially aim to silence us. What pain can we not endure if we see the end of it? There is no end to our deep concern for the brethren and for one another until Christ comes. We must live by hope. The devil seeks to discourage us. It is out of concern that we dare not speak too pointedly or rebuke too harshly or embarrass ourselves by inviting somebody to church when you know he's not going to really know what's going on. It's out of concern that we are afraid to confess. This is what the devil does with this deepest thorn in our flesh. But this is not what God does. The seed of God that makes us concerned is not the seed of God that silences us. It is a seed of God that teaches us to trust in him. The devil would silence the word by making our deep concern so heavy so as to keep us from speaking the one thing needful that can change hearts and give hope to sinners. But the devil did not plant this deep concern in us. God did. It is heavier than any cross, but by it we sow in hope because we know every day that what hope it gives to us. We know what the deep concern Jesus had for us produced in us. And so we count ourselves blessed to know how sufficient his grace is when this deep concern remains heavy upon our hearts. He even now patiently tends to all our needs so that we bear fruit, and he tends to these needs by speaking. He forgives us our sins and strengthens us to believe it and so also to speak it and honor it where it is preached, where he speaks to us and honors us with the honor of his own holiness. The hope we have for others is the hope inside of us. We do not doubt the power of God's word as we share Jesus with others because the peace and salvation it gives to us, dear Christians, is as doubtless as the joy in store for them who sow in tears. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.